0: Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirke Havashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. As I mentioned yesterday, this mission to me is a packed mission. There's a lot of of incredibly important information. We dealt with the Mishnah yesterday in, as a whole, as a composite, and that we said that the Mishnah was really continuing on in the thought of community and the creation of community. But there are individual pieces in the Mishnah that can be understood in their own context, and some in the context of community, but some telling us messages that are, that are, are beyond that. I want to deal with those individual pieces of the Mishnah um, and deal with them briefly but but to deal with them because I think that they have again they have important things to say to us so the very beginning of the Mishnah who I used to say you have to make God's will like your will so that God makes um, your will his will and then you have to nullify your will in front of his will so that he nullifies other people's wills in front of you, we we discuss that in the context of community and community building, but I think that there is another message that's being sent here, and I think that the other message that's being sent here is that, you know, we tend to think that mitzvos and mitzvah observance is like we had mentioned a few weeks ago, it's really about gathering points. And right? it's really about, you know, you, you work, you work, you work, you work, you expect to get points in, at the end, then you go, you know, olam or whatever, you cash in points. And the reason that you're doing this is because you're doing a favor for God, you're justifying your existence, you're, you're figuring out, um, you're figuring out a, a, a good way to live for, for, for you. In other words, and you feel like this is something, you know, something that could, that could bring you benefit the truth is that it's not just because it appears like it's beneficial that we understand that the reason that we serve God is that we serve God because this is the best thing for us. He gave us these commandments not because he wanted to keep Jews busy and not because he wanted to differentiate us from everybody else. It's not like there are so many, so many, so many possible negative explanations that a person could give. The reason why Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us mitzvot is because he understood that for a person to live with a God and for a person to to connect to a God, these are the things that are necessary for a person to live with. We understand that Avraham Avinu was able to understand 613 commandments. He wasn't commanded. Avraham Avinu was not commanded. Avraham Avinu came up with the idea, the understanding that this, if you want to have a relationship with God, this is what you need to have a relationship with God. You need to have kashras, you need to have Shabbos, you need to have, it's, 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 you need to have these, every single commandment. a Avinu was able to intuit because he understood that this was the way that a person is meant to live. And what the mission is saying is, is, is that you have to turn God's will, like your will. That means in a very simple way. What it means is, is that you have to look at what God wants for you. And you have to recognize that that's really ultimately what you want for you. It's not that I'm doing this because I have no choice or I'm doing this because this is I'm forced into this. I'm doing this because this is my will, because I understand that God's will for me needs to be aligned with my will. That's what ultimately why my, what my will needs to be. My desires, my, my pleasures have to be dictated by the, the things that God wants in me. You know, I'm not, it's not that I'm going to make the best of Shabbos. Look, I can't go out for 25 hours. Okay, I'm going to make the best of it. We'll turn it into a nice time. We'll have a good challenge. We'll sit around with the family. It'll be great. But it's that the understanding that every second that I have in Shabbos is really the best thing for me. It's something that is building my neshama. It's something that's building my outlook, building my perspective, building me as a human being. That's a very different perspective in avodas Hashem in in the service of God. As I mentioned once before, that God should make your will his will, because remember that God creates the world in a way that he puts us in the driver's seat. And he tells us, you tell me how you want your world to be run. I I mentioned this, uh, I think, many, many classes ago. You know, like when you get a new computer and you have a... Um, you know you, you, you go through your email and you set up um, and you set up your your email and you set up a lot of rules on the email and the rules that you set up is you know you want your email to come in this way you want it to come in that way you want it to look this way that's what God does to us in our world he says to us Set up your world. Tell me how you want to receive things, how you want, how you want judgment to take place in your world. Cause however you want judgment to take place in your world, that's where I'm going to judge. So if you want to be you know, patient with people, I'm going to be patient with you. If you want to be short with people, so then I'm going to be short and tight with you also not a it's not a punishment. It's that you're setting the rules. You're setting the parameters. You have to recognize that God's will is your will. You have to look at it that every single thing that I do, I do, with, I do because I recognize this is the best thing for me. God will then look at you in the same kind of way, and he will make your will. Whatever you want in your life, that's going to be Kiritzono. That's going to be his raison d'etre. It's going to be his focus in, the, in God's ruling and running of your world and creating of your world. But that's for positive things. What about for negative commandments? Negative commandments where you have a desire to do something that's against the Torah. You have what's called a taiva. You have a you have a, lust, a desire, a drive to do something against the Torah. So God speaks, the Mishnah speaks that also. And the Mishnah says you have to be batel ritzon chomitnei ritzon. You have to recognize that what God will for you is the best thing for you. And therefore, you have to sublimate yourself. You have to subdue yourself. Push yourself down a little bit. Because if you don't, so then you're going to end up doing something harmful for you. You know, it's an amazing thing. A lot of times people will look at a lobster and will say, that's disgusting. How is it possible to eat a bottom sucker like that? Look at it with the tentacles and with the the clippers and the eye. Like, it's nothing. I have to tell you, that for me as a kid, I remember watching these commercials for butterball ham. And I remember that the lady would take out the knife and she would cut the butterball ham, and the juices would ooze out at a.m. And I looked at that as a little kid and I said, That looks geschmack. That, that is unbelievable. And you know what's amazing? I later learned that that's supposed to be our attitude to things that aren't kosher. Our attitude to things that aren't kosher aren't supposed to be, oh, it's disgusting, it's gross. Our attitude to things that are kosher aren't. Afshi, I would love to have that. It looks amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can't. Because the master of the world told me I can't. And he told me that it's going to be something harmful to me. I, Inside of me, I have a desire for it. Inside of me, it does not look bad. You know, you walk past a, a non-kosher Chinese restaurant. Besides the fact, you know, I used to see a lot of people inside that I knew. But be that as it may, when you look inside a non-kosher Chinese restaurant, then you're looking in there and you're going, I don't know, don't, don't look bad. You know, it smells good. But, but I'm not allowed to have it. That's what the mission saying to us. That you have to you have to nullify your will. And you have to have a will. You have to have a desire. It's okay. <laughs> But you have to batil ritzoncha. You have to nullify it, mipne ritzono, because you know that this is not what God wants, and ultimately it's not what you want, because ultimately it's not going to bring you any benefit. And if we live that way, k'dayi shivato rotzon acherim that again, you're living in a world where you're making yourself second, so God is going to create a world for you where you are first. If you put God first, God is going to put you first. I think i might have mentioned this once. That you know, it says that God wears tefillin. What, what does that it mean? It's a beautiful Gemara, but the Gemara says that God wears tefillin. First, I always, I always quip, you know, I always joke around that, you know, if God wears tefillin, I want to be the leather, the the leather mocher, you know, the leather seller for God's tefillin because that's going to bring in a pretty penny. Those must be one large pair of tefillin. What does it mean that God wears tefillin? Can you imagine that image? You know, of God saying, you know, be back with you five minutes, just got to put on my tefillin. Like, what does it mean? God puts on tefillin. And what does it say in God's tefillin? In my tefillin, I know what it says. It says, Shema Yisrael Shem God, you won. So what does it say in God's tefillin? God, you won? That's a, a little hori. So the Talmud tells us, you know what it says in God's tefillin? Mika Yisrael who is like you, my nation Israel? It's a singular nation in this world. In other words, we make God one in our lives, and God makes us one in his life. And that's what the mission is saying. If we are, if we put our needs secondary and we focus on God and what God wants for us, ultimately, what God wants for us, what he's decreed for us, what he has, what he has set up for us, what he has told us is going to be the best thing for our lives. So then that's the way God is going to run our lives. God is going to make you number uno. He's going to make you number one, and sublimate and subdue everything, everyone else around you. Okay. So that part of the Mishnah, according to those that separate these two Mishnahists, and see this not as a communal thing, this is really talking to our attitude towards Mitzvahs, and our attitude towards Mitzvahs has to be that this is not grudgery, this is not, you know, Olam Haba is not the reward you get for giving up Olam Azem. Right? And was, I, couldn't have, I couldn't have the parties I wanted to have on Friday night I couldn't have the, the food I wanted to eat all the time I couldn't have the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to have I had to listen to the Torah So don't worry, it's, in the end it's going to be okay In the end, in the you're going to get rewarded for it That's not the way it works It's that you're not giving up anything You know, you know that, that whole attitude And again, I might have spoken about this But the whole attitude is That, that many of us grew up with It's hard to be a Jew it's, that, is, that is an anathematos. That is something that needs to be driven far away from the Jewish people. It is not hard to be Jewish. It is the best thing that ever happened to our lives. Mitzvahs are, in fact, the best way for a person to exist. Do they require a certain amount of commitment? Sure. Are they, are they the way the world is living? No. So does it feel like you're giving up something because you're not living the way the world is? Yeah, of course. Nevertheless, it's, you have to look at the rest of the world and say, feel you." You, you don't have what we have. You know When I always felt that? Thanksgiving morning. I'll tell you why I always felt that Thanksgiving. Erev Thanksgiving Thanksgiving morning. I remember once, my secretary once said to me, she needed off on Erev, Erev Thanksgiving. Why I you of Erev Thanksgiving? She said to me, because I'm having a lot of people. Oh, I have a lot of people for dinner. Okay. So how many people are you having? Eight. Eight people, really? I told her, on, a, on an average Shabbos, we have 20 a meal. You, know, you, have, you have eight for one meal on an afternoon where you can cook right up until the meal. It's not like you have to prepare by Friday afternoon. You can cook right up to the meal. And I said, isn't it unbelievable? We get to enjoy, and look at how much energy she's putting into this. Look at with the, the slavos and the shopping. and the, I say we get to do this, Baruch Hashem, every single week, Two meals every, every Shabbos, and imagine a yontif. We get to add on more. We get to sit with our family, our friends. We get to have this joy and excitement every single week. Who's got it better? Now, it's a lot more work, but who's got it better? Who's got the natural thing built in to their system that they have a natural family time, they have a natural time with their friends, a natural time that's, that, that's there just to enjoy and to relax. It's built into our system. And then I would go and, on Thanksgiving morning. It's always Dominique was late. So, but in our neighborhood, it was like Yom Kippur. There was nobody on the street. Like what a Yom Kippur would be in a from neighborhood. That's what it was Thanksgiving morning by us. There were in a, a large Jewish population. There was well, a lot of Jews, but there was, you know, it was, it was still, you know, mostly non-Jews and, and certainly non, non-religious Jews. And the place was was absolutely empty. I would look at it and say, you know what, it's amazing. I said, we have something to learn from this. We have something to learn from, their, from, from the way that they approach their holidays, from the way that they, the energy they put into it. We have something valuable that we can learn from this. We but but we look at it. We say that you know what we're lucky that we every Shabbos morning get to do this, every Shabbos we get to relax, every week we get to relax. We get to have this all the time. That's the way we're meant to look at Torah Mitzvah. What we're meant to look at as this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. This is not a compromised situation. We're not giving up anything. We are actually living. Okay, that's number one. Then I want to deal with altifreshmen at I want to deal with. The concept of don't separate yourself from the um, from the community. I want to deal with it in a little bit of a different way that we dealt with it yesterday. I want to talk about it also in the context of Shavuos. That you know, if I were to ask you to tell me the story of the giving of the Torah, so you would tell me that you know the Jews came to the desert and there they in the to Midbar Sin. And they came to Mount Sinai, and there they rested. And when they were resting there, Siddharth Moshe Rabbeinu was going up and down, doing shuttle diplomacy between God and the Jewish people. And he was getting, you know, brokering a deal, getting the Jewish people ready for the giving of the Torah. Then um, Moshe goes up the Torah. God goes up the mountain. God reveals himself to the Jewish people, picks up the mountain, holds it over the head of the Jewish people, then reveals himself to the Jewish people, says all Ten Commandments as one, then says each one of them separately. And then the, the people freak out after the first two, they ask Moshe if they could say the other eight. Fine, but that, that's the story that we would tell. Oh, and, and when God came to the Jews and said, you want the Torah, so then what did the Jews respond? Na'asev seven Nishma. Okay, when you read it in the Torah, when you read Pashas Yisro, before the giving of the Torah, and then you read Pashas Mishpatim the last chapter in parasha Mishpatim, which is the next Pasha after parasha Yisro, which is the account of the giving of the Torah, which the commentaries dispute as to whether that happened before the giving of the Torah or after the giving of the Torah, but there is a whole other element that nobody ever tells. Like when you tell over the story to your children, nobody ever tells this element of that Moshe Benu built an altar, he sacrificed sacrifices. He sprinkled the blood on the altar and he sprinkled the blood towards the Jewish people and that he, he anointed them. And then he took 144, according to most authorities, the Torah talks of 12, but it's 12 twelves, 144 single stone, what's called the Matzeva, a single stone monument, 144 to them, anoint them anointed them with oil. And then, when, according to Rashi, then went up the mountain and then God revealed himself to the Jewish people. But that's part of the story. It's not the part of the story, unfortunately, that people tell, but it's part of the story. I want us to wonder, first of all, why were there 144 Matzevas? Why did Moshe build 144 single stone monuments? One altar and 144 single stone monuments. The, the math is obvious. It's 12 12s, right? So it's one for each tribe. And then within each tribe, there is one for every other tribe. So it's 12 monuments for each tribe and that comes out to be 144 monuments. Again, if you look carefully in the Torah, you know, you, we always talk about Nasr and Nishma. So if you look at Pasha Yisro, the Pasha of the giving of the Torah, and that Shabbos, everybody always talks about Nasr and Nishma. But if you look carefully in the Torah, you know what it says? Na'asev. The Jews answered back, God, we will do. do not say the word about Nishma, you know where Nishma appears? Where that whole story, the Nasev Nishma, the words, not, we will do and we will listen, which is considered the greatest thing that ever happened to the Jewish people, that we were talking a, a, an angelic formula. Wow, amazing that we would say that. You know where that appears? That appears in Parshas Mishpatim. That appears to, uh, the, the next Pasha at the very end of the Pasha when it gives the a conclusion of the story of the giving of the Torah, that's the first time, after the building of the monuments, that's the first time that it says Nasev Nishma. So we have to understand what's the monuments, we have to understand what's the 144, we have to understand what's the nas of anishma, only at the end of the story, not at the beginning of the story. What's going on here? Let's talk very briefly about the difference between a matseva and a mizbeach. A matseva, a single stone monument, a mizbeach, made up of a, of, of a joining together of many, many stones. There are many, many differences between a matseva and a mizbeach. I could I could speak for a long time about this, it and it'll take us in many different directions. I'm going to go one direction today. An important direction, an important thing to know is, is that in the Torah, it says that God hates Matseva. He hates single stone monuments. Perhaps a different time, I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll give you a different reason why. But he hates single stone monuments. Now, by the way, in the Torah, how many times does it say that God hates? Not many, right? And yet it says what does he hate? He hates single stone monuments. God, you know, they're a more important thing in the world to have to be so emphatic about and say, I hate single stone monuments. Right? I mean, you could hate evil. You could hate Lashon Hara. You could hate people that murder. Right? Why does it say Dafka Afghan that he hates single stone monuments? Okay. The difference between a single stone monument and a Mizbeach is that a single stone monument represents Avodah Siyochit. It represents the service of an individual. Which before the giving of the Torah was perfectly fine. God didn't hate it. It was only afterwards that God hated it. And a many-stoned altar, a mizbeach, represents avodah Sa'am, represents the the, the service to God of the nation. After matan Torah, God calls a matzeva an abomination, something that He hates because now our avoda was characterized by national service. We were now a nation. We merged together, and we needed to stay that way. We were ki yishachad like one person with one heart, standing under the foot of Mount Sinai. We became united as a nation. We now became responsible one for the other. Kol Yisrael HaRevin laze. Everybody became a co-signer, one for the other. We became one organism, one entity, one neshama, one soul, and one united being. And therefore, individuality, separating as an individual, now became something that was an anathema to God. The 12 shvatim, the 12 tribes, were 12 each tribe had a personal path, had a way to God and that each one of them, there were 12 Chalakim. there were 12 different portions of pathways to God. Each portion had 12 different strata to it, 12 different levels there was the Levi portion of Levi there was the Yehuda portion of Levi, there was the Yisachar portion of Levi and therefore, there were 144 pathways to God. Those 144 were represented by the Matzevos. They were represented by those, um, those monuments that Moshe Rabinu put up. When the Jewish people said Na'aseh, they assumed that individual connection to God was done, and that now was all communal. It was now a Mizbeach. It was now one. It was all those stones that were melded into one stone, melded into one Mizbeach, melded into one altar. And therefore, when God said, will you keep the Torah? Their response was, "Nasa, we will keep the Torah. We, plural, will keep the Torah. We will keep the Torah as one organism. I will keep the Torah the same way you keep the Torah. He will keep the Torah the way the same way she keeps the Torah. It is one Torah. It is one nation. We are doing it the same way, Nasa, My doing is the same as your doing. But then when they saw Moshe Rabbeinu put up those, those stones, when they saw him put up those matzevos, those single stone monuments, those represented avodas yochid. those represented the individual pathways to god and they realized that god was not getting rid of an individual relationship with him but the individual relationship was in the context of community was in the context of the tzibor the context of the whole and it was at that point that they realized that they needed to develop themselves as individuals but individuals within the context of the jewish nation it was at that moment that they said Naasev and Nishma was only after the monuments that they could say that that they could say yes we recognize that there needs to be an individual connection to God and an individual connection to Mitzos and therefore when we came to Mount Sinai we experienced Ishachad beLevachad we experienced this merging together into one entity it was logical to say as in to say that individuality was gone it was dead and therefore they said Naasev But when they recognized the monuments, they saw that individuality was not dead, but it was in a context now. It wasn't every individual running in his own direction, but it was within the context of the community. And it's that moment that they recognized that they said, they declared, Nasa Vinishmo. We will do as in we will do as a community, but we will put our individuality into it. When the Mishnah says to us, what the Mishnah is saying is, don't stand apart from the community. Excel within the context of the community. Every individual needs to find themselves. Every individual needs to find their individuality. They need to find their uniqueness. They need to find their special flavor. But it's their special flavor within the context of the community. You know, many people look for being an individual. Many people look to find their sense of self. And what they do is they go the opposite of everybody else. Everybody's going to the right, they go to the left. Everybody's going to the left, they go to the right. You see them in every shul. You see them in every community. You see them all over. Everybody is standing up. Their custom is to sit down. Everybody's sitting down. Their custom is to stand up. Whatever the tzibur is doing, they're doing something different, not because they hate the tzibur, but because they're trying to find themselves. And what the Torah is teaching us, and what the Mishnah, Pek Yavis is teaching us, Atif means that you can become an amazing individual without having to separate from the community. You do not need to flow differently than the rest of the community you can excel at what the community is doing and in that way you find your individuality everybody's doing chesed you're doing chesed also but you're excelling in this kind of chesed you're excelling in this kind of kindness everybody is learning you're also learning it's not that they're learning one thing, you're learning a different thing. You're learning what they're learning, how they're learning, where they're learning. But you're putting your own unique brand of energy into it and therefore creating your own space within that space of the community. You're excelling in what you're capable of excelling in. That's the way we make ourselves individuals. That's the way we are, Mikai and we fulfill al-tifrosh, don't separate from the community. It doesn't mean don't become an individual be an individual, be unique, but be unique within the context of the community. And that's what that ignored section of the Torah, that's what that little ceremony of Meshapinus was telling the Jewish people, that there is a Mizbeach, one Mizbeach. There is one way to serve God. And within that there are 144 individual pathways. There are 144 different types and permutations of ways to be able to reach him. But it's within the context of that one mizbech. There aren't 10 Torahs. There aren't 20 Torahs. There aren't many, many different paths. It's one pathway. There's one mizbech. But within that, you can find your uniqueness. You can excel at something. You can pour your energy into something that becomes your thing. You know, When you live in a community of people, you always know that that's the That's the chesed person. That's the person that's always going to organize shiurim. That's the person that's going to make sure that there are meals for somebody that's sick. That's the person that's going to worry, you know, if they haven't seen a person in a week in shul, they're going to call them. Everybody's got their place. It's not that we're separating from each other. We're doing different things than each other within the context of the community and finding our place to excel. There was a great rabbi that they called Ben um, Sas. and they say, why did he? Why was he called that? You know, the Tzitzas man, because that was his unique mitzvah. It's not that he ignored the other six twelve, and it's not that he did it different than anybody else in the community. It's that he excelled in that mitzvah. He found his individuality within the context of that mitzvah, and that's what the, that's what we're being taught. Al min If you want to find your individuality. You can find it without standing apart from the community. You can do it by excelling within the context of the community.